You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in the book of Jude, verses 4 through 7. And it says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jacob. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here in I just want to echo Jacob's welcome to you. If you're a visitor with us, we are so honored that you've chosen to worship with us. Thank you for being here. If we could serve you in any way, uh, we'd be happy to do so. One of uh, our family's favorite shows to watch together is a show that you may have heard of called Dude Perfect. Dude Perfect uh, got their start on YouTube with like trick shots. You know, if you know anything about that, that deal. And uh, they've just, they've basically grown an empire um, off of trick shots. But they, uh, if you know anything about them, they uh, love to compete against one another. Uh, there's a, 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 I think it's just on YouTube. Actually, I think it might be on Nickelodeon too. But they, uh, they have a show called Overtime. And uh, uh, every time that show comes out, we're always finding ourselves watching it together and laughing and having a good time. Well, in one of the shows... Uh, they had a competition that was really very different than most of the competitions that they have. Most of the competitions are sort of sports-related or, you know, there's, there's some sort of athletic feat that you have to try to accomplish. But this particular competition was each of the five guys were given metal detectors and they were sent out to, they, I think they had to choose different, that there was only like five different places you could choose from and each of them chose a place to go to, very different places, to try to see what they could find with a metal detector in those places. And so, you know, the competition was you got to bring the stuff that you think is worth something back to the headquarters and someone's going to judge who wins and uh, who doesn't win. And it's hilarious because, you know, they're, they're finding stuff that they uh, think's worth a lot. And then when they come back, they find out it's not worth a whole lot. One of the guys found a watch that he thought was just going to win in the competition. And they found out it was just this dirt cheap watch um, from a store. But in the end, there was a winner and every, you know, everybody else lost. And, and I, I was just thinking about that this week as I was thinking about our passage. Because in the same way for you and I, we have been given spiritual detectors. Uh, you and I have been given, if you're a believer here tonight, you have been given something to help you detect what's true and what's not true about the things of God. 
And in the book of Jude, that is sort of the thrust. That's the point of this book. Jude is trying to help us turn on our spiritual detectors to locate, to detect what is true and what is not true about who God is, particularly as it comes to us from other people. We are tonight continuing a series we began last week uh, in the book of Jude called Detect and Declare. And the book of Jude... If you know where it's at, it's, it's towards the end of your New Testament. It's tucked right between Paul's epistles and the book of Revelation. And as we said last week, uh, it's one page. But on that one page, is, it's just packed with so much help for us, uh, even in the times that we live in. In fact, we said this last week as well. We live in an unprecedented age as Christians, like There is no end of podcasts and articles and blog posts and social media posts that you can access to learn about the things of God from a wide range of people. But we said that the reality is, is that not all of that is created equal. You and I are to have our spiritual detectors on so that we can determine what What's biblical and what isn't? What's true about God and what what isn't about God? And in this series, our desire is to help you grow in your ability to both detect false teaching and declare the truth of the gospel in these times. And tonight, as we continue our series in this next portion of Jude, I want to invite you to see two things. First, to detect a false teacher... You have to determine how they think and talk about the grace of God. Let me just repeat that again. To detect a false teacher, we must determine how they think and talk about the grace of God. And then secondly, I want to invite you to see this. To detect a false teacher, you must observe the quality of the fruit in their life and proceed carefully. You must observe the quality of the fruit in their life and proceed carefully. So, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Jude. Again, it should just all be there on the page, one page for you. Real quickly, as we move into our our passage tonight, I want to actually look back at verse 3, if you would, which we looked at last week. It sets up where we're headed tonight. So let me just read that for us again. You didn't hear that read earlier. So here's what it says. Look there. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So last week, we said that if you're a Christian, you are called to contend for, or in our sermon title, to declare the gospel from something. It's not enough for us to just go, we've got to be bold, we've got to declare the gospel, we've got, to, we've got to contend for the gospel, but rather, we are to do that from a certain place. And Jude helps us out so much at the very beginning of this book by telling us what our identity in Christ looks like. Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but he gives us three things that we are to remember about ourselves as we move out into contending for the faith. And those three things that he said to us last week is that you are called by God. You are secondly loved by God. And third, you are kept by him. And what, what Jude is doing here is 
he's reminding us that we don't obey God um, in order to get him to love us, in order for him to keep us, but rather it's from his love, it's from his guidance, it's from his protection that we obey him, we contend for the gospel. Now, let's though ask this question, why is Jude telling us to do this? Why is he saying to contend for the faith? Last week we said that when Jude says to contend for the faith, he's not talking about the thing that you and I exercise as we place our faith and trust in Jesus. What, what Jude is talking about is a, a set of beliefs, doctrine, theology, or at its very core, the gospel of Jesus. And so what, why is he telling us to contend for that? It's there in verse 4. Look with me there. Let me just read that again for us. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude very quickly after reminding us who we are in Christ, uh, giving us some marching orders, contend for the faith, uh, shocks us out of any apathy that we might have about the idea of false teachers or false teaching being in the church or not in the church. He is saying danger here. There is a danger. There are people within the church sometimes that desire to pervert he, uh, that's the word that Jude uses here, pervert the grace of God. That's a very strong word. To pervert something is to do what with it? It's to corrupt it, right? It's to distort it. It's to take it from what is, was true and, and beautiful and to obscure it to the point that not only does it not resemble what it used to be, but it actually has become something altogether devoid of what it actually was before. It reminds me of what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering for the three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Jude is saying the same thing here. He's saying, guys, we've got to have our radars up for what is called false teaching or false teachers. Now, I want you to notice two things that Jude says that they are teaching. We're going to say this here in a little bit, just in a moment, but one of the characteristics of a false teacher, it's in their name, is that they are in a position to be able to teach. They are in a position to be able to instruct. And so in some ways, they have, as Jude says, crept in unnoticed, but, but become uh, or have a position of authority in some respects. And so um, they are teaching something. So I want you to notice the two things that Jude says they're teaching. First, he said that the, the teachers that have crept in, that are perverting the grace of God, were saying that it's okay to do whatever you want with your mind and your body, even if it's sinful. Where do we get that from? It's all kind of packed in to the word sensuality. It, it says that they were perverting the grace of God into sensuality. 
Now, here's what that word means in Jude. If you look at sort of the, the meaning behind it, it, it means a lack of self-constraint. It means an abandonment to immoral behavior. And more specifically, uh, Jude is using this word to refer to sexual sin. So what is Jude saying here? He is talking about something called licentiousness. That's a Uh, a big word, but basically what that means, it's a fancy word that means abusing grace. These teachers are saying it doesn't matter if if what I'm doing is sinful, my obedience to God doesn't matter in the area of, of sexual purity, I am free to do whatever I want. These false teachers apparently were perverting the this idea of grace as an excuse to live life however they wanted to, regardless of whether it was righteous or not. Now, second, they were not only teaching that, that uh, uh, it was okay to do things that, uh, you know, with your mind and your body, whether it was sinful or not, but they were also teaching that Jesus was not who he said that he was. Look there again at verse 4. It says that they were perverting the grace of God by denying Jesus. In other words, they were denying what the Bible teaches about the person and the work of Jesus. Whereas the first thing that they were saying denies the result of grace, that we are to honor and to obey God uh, in, in all of life, including our sexual desires, out of love for him. The second idea here is that they are denying the very person who secures that grace for us, Jesus. Here's the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. To detect a false teacher, you have to determine how they think and talk about the grace of God. See, Jude is telling us here that one of the ways that we contend for the faith means that we have our spiritual radars on for false teachers, both in a local church like Mercy View. But I'm also going to say this. I think it includes the Big C Church as well. In, In two particular ways, it includes both the local church and the Big C Church. First... Um, here is uh, one of the ways that our radars have to be uh, up as we think about how uh, false teachers talk and think about the grace of God. Do they deny the implications of grace? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Do they say that God's mercy actually gives you a license to sin? If so, they are denying the implication of of what grace actually means. And particularly on the issue of, of sexuality, Do they say that it doesn't matter how you live in that area of your life? Do they minimize the prohibition in the scriptures against any kind of sexual immorality, whether that's adultery or or something like homosexuality? Do they try to minimize what the scripture teaches about those things? Do they reinterpret or attempt to reinterpret what the Bible has to say about sex? Do they attempt to reinterpret that it's not just between one man and one woman in the context of a marriage covenant? If so, you might be dealing with a false teacher. But second, do they deny the very person who secures grace for us? Do they deny that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was incarnated as a real historical figure in our time and space through a virgin birth? Do they deny the deity of Jesus, that he was fully God? Do they try to quash the idea that Jesus was fully man as well? 
Do they reject that he li- reject the idea that he lived a perfect and sinless life? Do they try to shoot holes in the fact that Jesus did rise on the third day according to his own prophecies? And do they try to disprove that in his death and resurrection, he has not secured, or do they try to deny that he has secured salvation for those who would place their faith and trust in him? If so, they may be a false teacher. Friends, here's the deal. We need to talk about this out loud. Because a false teacher this, this evening, after you leave here and you go home, is maybe only a click away of your cursor or a flip of a channel away or the opening of a book away. They're everywhere, unfortunately. They are not intending to help you experience and enjoy the grace of God. And we have to be discerning because the truth matters. This is what Jude means when he says that we are to contend for or uh, detect and, and, and defend the faith. Theology matters. And we're going to talk about, yeah, there are things that we can disagree about theologically here in just a moment, but false teaching in many ways denies first order theology. And sometimes we have to say that thing, that teaching or that person is not truthful. We sometimes have to say that something is happening that's going against the scriptures. And so here's Jude in his time speaking to a group of Christians who live in a pluralistic society. They live in a relativistic culture that had a bunch of idols and truths and fads and things that were not in line with the scriptures. Does that sound familiar? And in that culture, he's saying, contend for the truth. And here we are, 2,000 years later, in a culture that's exactly the same. Following fads, following fashions and idols, and Jude is saying to us, he's warning us, you must know the truth. You must cling to the truth. You must believe the truth. And with that truth, be savvy enough to Tell the difference between a false teacher from a faithful one. Stick close to the Bible. He's saying stick close to Jesus. Stick close to a faith community that can help you with this. Ask your faith community. Ask your pastors, other leaders, your your friends that you do life with. Ask them if so-and-so is worth listening to or reading or not. Friends, this, this word... That Jude is giving us is so fresh for us. It's as fresh as the day that he wrote it down. How do you do that here at Mercy View? Well, if you're a, a Christian here at Mercy View, even if you're a visitor here, the way that you um, can help yourself is that you get embedded in community here. Whether that's what we're doing right now, this is a unique form of discipleship, but uh, you are being discipled as you sit under the word, as you sing songs about God, as, you, as we pray together, as we take communion together. All those things are discipling us towards the truth. 
But there are other places in our church that you can continue to be built up and to be able to help your spiritual radar get stronger, whether that's a missional community or equip groups that study the Bible together or men's and women's ministries. I want to encourage you the days to come to be, be faithful, be active, be present in those spaces so that you can strengthen your spiritual detector. To detect a false teacher, we have to determine how they think and talk about the grace of God. Now, look with me, if you would, back at Jude, verses 5 through 7. I'm not going to read all of this again, but what I want you to see is that Jude continues to serve us in showing us how to detect false teachers and teaching by giving us three pictures, or I think you could even call them analogies, from the Old Testament. So, look there in verse 5. First, He talks about the Israelites that God rescued out of Egypt. If you remember this story, God saves the Israelites out of Egypt, but they, that group of people never got to enjoy the delights of the promised land because they refused to believe God. And it says that for those who did not believe, this is heavy, God destroyed them. What was their sin? It was suspicion about God, right? It was distrust about God. God. It was unbelief about God. It was the first sin of our first parents. But second, Jude talks about the angels, and there's some debate about which angels Jude is talking about here, but most commentators believe that Jude is talking about a very puzzling passage, by the way, uh, in Genesis 6, where we see these these people, or I don't even know if you can call them people, but uh, uh, there were these these things, these beings, who rebelled against God. And they were condemned by God because of their rebellion. And I want you to notice what Jude said about them there. He says that they did not stay within their own position of authority. What does that mean? Well, they sought a position, right, a station, which God hadn't given them. And they sought it in a way that would actually position them either equal to or above God. And there's only one God, and he is a jealous God, and he gives his glory to no other. And actually, this reminds me of the story of the fall of Satan, right? A couple of accounts of that in the Old Testament, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Satan himself sought to be exalted in a way that God had not designed for him. And Satan rebelled against that, and and God bound Satan to hell in judgment. What was the sin of Satan? What was the sin of the angels? Most people, again, believe in Genesis 6. Pride, right? Arrogance, self-importance. And then third, Jude talks about another, he gives us another word picture here, about the rebels in Sodom and Gomorrah who were guilty of sinning against God and were also completely destroyed by God. Their immorality was actually so malicious and wicked that God rained fire down from heaven. And Jude says that was a picture of the judgment which is awaiting anyone who is content with their immorality. Again, what was their sin? Most likely and specifically sexual immorality. Notice what Jude is doing here with all of these pictures. He's not giving us a history lesson. I mean, we're getting some history. 
what he is doing is he is attaching these three events to the false teaching that's taking place in Jude's day. And he's saying to us, be warned. Here are what false teachers look like. And then this is the word that that Jude is trying to get across to us. He is trying to show us what the result of false teaching is. Judgment, destruction, and hell. Here's the second thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. To detect a false teacher. Observe the quality of the fruit in their life and proceed carefully. We just said that Jude was zeroing in on three attitudes or, or what we could call the, I would call the fruit of false teachers. We could just say suspicion, arrogance, and immorality. And I'm not saying all three of those have to be in play for us to go, that's a, maybe a false teacher. I, I think Jude is saying any one of those things should make your spiritual detector beep really quickly. Do the people, so here's some questions for us. Do the people you are listening to treat the things of God with suspicion and distrust? Do they not care that their questions are undermining the confidence of a believer unnecessarily? Do the people that you consume on social media have a posture of pridefulness and self-importance about the spiritual things that they are talking about? Do they make more of themselves as they talk about spiritual things? Or do they make much of God and others? Do the people that you read or or watch flaunt ideas or even their own lifestyle that is in direct contradiction to the words of Scripture, in particular in the area of sexuality? Do they conflate what God says about our bodies and how they believe we are free to express ourselves in whatever way makes us happy. If so, you might, and I say might, be dealing with a false teacher. Now, why have I been saying you might be dealing with one? Well, as you and I go through the book of Jude, one of the temptations will be is, man, I have got to be thinking about this all the time. I've got to have my radar on. I've got to be nitpicky and, 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 you know, I've got to be weighing this all the time. And I'm not so sure that's what Jude's point is. What Jude, I think, is trying to do is to strengthen our ability to see what a false teacher or a false teaching looks like so that we can, in a, as we get that muscle working and strong, we can detect it more easily without being consumed by the idea of, of being like a false teacher hunter, Right? Because I think one of the dangers in this is that we could be reckless in calling someone a false teacher without careful examination. Sure, there, are obvi- there will be obvious examples. I've seen them. You may see them. There's definitely examples in, in history, examples in the past. There may even things right now that you are reading or watching and you're like, man, that's pretty egregious. Right, like, like the, I don't need to think about that a whole lot. That seems pretty heretical. That very well can quickly qualify someone as a false teacher. But we need to be careful that we aren't throwing yellow flags around on this issue in, a, in sort of a rash and impulsive way without the right attitude and I would just say the right information. In fact, let's dig a little deeper in this. 
in what way should we be careful with our spiritual detectors as we come across what we believe is false teaching and how should we proceed if we sense there really is an issue? So first, how should we be careful? I came across a great article this week that really captures what um, this idea means. It's by a guy by the name of Graham Wyatt. Graham is the executive director for the Gospel Coalition in Canada. And in an article called How Do I Spot a False Teacher, he gives us a couple of things to remember, cautions really, as we determine this idea about spotting a false teacher. First, Wyatt says that a Christian leader who falls morally is not a false teacher if they repent genuinely. If the leader does not repent, it is likely they were never a part of us or were a wolf in sheep's clothing. In other words, um, sometimes there are men who fall morally. It doesn't negate the truth or truths that they taught or the, even the fruit of their ministry if they repent. But second, why it says a false teacher, and this is really important for us, is not just someone you disagree with. If someone teaches something contrary to you, but in good faith, you, you, like you're quick to listen and, and, and you're slow to speak, you might find that really what you are uh, uh, sensing is not that this person is a false teacher, but rather you guys just disagree on something that good Christians can disagree on. You might even find that you're wrong and need to be honest about that and humble about that. Maybe the other person is wrong, but maybe you are too. Some people believe in some interesting stuff theologically. I'm sure you know those people. Honestly, you may believe in some really interesting stuff theologically. It's not a question of being a false teacher in that sense. It's just genuine differences. So we just got to be careful with that. And on that last point, let me just drill down one more thought. Not every bad doctrine is equally dangerous or not, not every dis- disputable doctrine is equally as dangerous. As I understand the scriptures, there are certain things that I think are that, you know, some people that I love and, and partner with in ministry who, who we just differ on it. But I think what they believe about it deviates from the scriptures where I believe something else. But I think they are sincere and mature Christians. And because we believe that about ourselves, we can affirm one another in love, right? Even though I may believe their views are wrong, none of it threatens the gospel. Actually, Acts 29 as a network is a great example of this. If you're not familiar, our church is a part of a trans-denominational church planting network around the world. And that means, and this, I'll just be even more specific, like in Tulsa, Mercy View is the only Baptistic church that's affiliated with Acts 29. All the others are Presbyterian. Guys, Baptists and Presbyterians don't agree on baptism. But you know what? They try to win me over to their argument when we're hanging out and in, in, in just, you know, good fun. And I do the same with them. But you, after it's over, we can still look at each other and slap each other on the back, love each other, know that this is not a gospel issue. It's just something that, that we disagree on. And um, I was reminded this week of, of uh, something that many years ago, uh, a seminary president by the name of Al Moeller put together. 
He calls it theological triage. I told you we're going to talk about this just a little bit. Just briefly, here is another helpful tool that we've got to have in our tool belt as we think about how to discern false teaching and false teachers. First order doctrines are things that all Christians should agree on and not compromise on. What are some of those? Those are things like the Trinity, the Incarnation, substitutionary atonement, a bodily resurrection. Those things Christians should agree on. If someone doesn't agree on those first order issues, there, are, there should be some question marks for us. But then there are second order doctrines, and those are theological opinions that honest Christians can disagree about and yet still be a part of the same team or church or group of churches. What are some examples of that? The, the extent of the atonement, like there are different theories of the, the atonement that some want to debate. Um, uh, things like, uh, uh, you know, the millennium, things like gender roles, things like traditions like baptism and, and polity. And then you have third order doctrines, which are, are truly just like things that, that Christians disagree about, and they, yet they can still hang out together as well. And they're really not that important to agree on. And theological triage is this idea that, that we are to like look at something and go, where does that fit? Which level, which tier does that fit in? Theological triage, of course, doesn't solve every dispute. It won't solve every question that you have about whether you're being exposed to false teaching or not. But I do think it can be a useful tool to determine the difference between primary and secondary doctrines. And actually, there's a great book that just came out, I think, last year um, by a, a pastor friend of mine by the name of Gavin Ortland called Finding the Right Hills to Die On, that if you want to, again, learn a little bit more about this idea of theological triage or just how to figure out, like, what do I need to fight for? What do I need to kind of be, like, okay with? Just, you know, I'm a good brother or sister can disagree on. And, like, what's something that I just need to, like, just be really careful about because it's truly an opinion? That book's super helpful. It's a little book. You could read it pretty quickly. Um, I think put out by Crossway. But Finding the Right Hills to Die On by, by Gavin's really good. Now... That is, again, a long way to talk about how should, should we be careful uh, about whether or not to call someone a false teacher. But I, I think one of the things that could happen is we come to a place where like, okay, I am really concerned about this thing, and, and so how do I proceed if that heresy alarm is going off? And as we said last week, in a lot of ways, and this is going to sound counter to what you should do, but our first response should be what I would call reasoned gentleness. We're called to that as believers. In other words, we should be clear about what we think the truth is, but we should be loving in our clarity, even with false teachers. There is no need to start at 100 unless it is so egregious and it is harming people so quickly and, 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 you know, and in mass that we have to shoot a wolf. I get that. Sometimes we have to, to do that. But but many times, what we need to do is to slow down and examine the situation, what's going on. Now, one thing we need to also say here is that Jude's categories that we see here for false teachers are not a comprehensive list. In fact, this isn't the only book or passage that talks about false teaching in the New Testament. So there are other things that we should care about, like... Um, the position of this teacher, the, the authority they may have, the content of their teaching. Many times the, the, the false teachers...
um, very, very sly in the way that they use their their uh, position of authority. Um, that's why we use the word wolf many times to describe a false teacher because wolves like to disguise themselves. And in Graham Wyatt's article this week uh, that I read, he said, if Satan masquerades as an angel of light, wouldn't his lieutenants also look like good moral Bible teachers? All right, so there's some other things that we need to think about. But when you put the full picture together, here is how we, someone has seared their conscience to the point of being unable to listen. Your conscience. You're like, I just can't listen to this anymore. This is wrong. Then you should move into what is called the warning stage. Now, one of the ways that this plays itself out in a local church is that you go to a leader at, at Mercy View and say, hey, here's the situation, here's the information. And then we take and examine, and if that's true, then we warn that person. But if this person persists, persists in teaching falsely, and they are harming others by their teaching or by their actions, then we have clearance to move into false teacher stage. And here's why this is a serious stage to move into and why we should proceed carefully. Calling someone a false teacher means that they likely will never receive forgiveness of their sins, that they are damned. We should be very slow to call someone a false teacher, but we should be very quick to call one a false teacher if they exhibit the fruits of a false teacher. False teacher is not a phrase we should use regularly. Because when we use it, when we say it, we mean that someone has doomed themselves to a life without forgiveness. Some of you may be sitting here tonight going, man, I, I'm kind of wondering about this book I'm reading or I'm wondering about this podcast I listen to or maybe, maybe you have a concern about someone else in your family or in your sphere of influence that are being influenced by uh, what you would deem uh, at least on a cursory level as a false teacher. If you would like to talk about that, the elders at Mercy View would be honored to serve you in that. And just reach out to us. You can email us at info at mercyview.com. Some of you have our numbers and personal emails. Just reach out to us and say, hey, I got a question about this specific person or teacher or preacher. And we would love to examine those concerns with you. That would be our heart to do with you. Just let's look at this together. Let's figure this out together. And one of the things that we're going to do is really the second point that I just mentioned I want to invite you to see this evening. It's to observe the quality of the fruit in their life. And then together we can proceed carefully. Why get in the deep end on this issue as a church? Well, because Jude does. As we've said in many different ways, the very gospel is at stake. Or maybe even said another way, our experience of the true gospel is at stake here. The experience of the gospel for others around us is at stake as well. False teaching is a matter of eternal life versus spiritual death. So again, to detect a false teacher, we've got to determine how they think and how they talk about the grace of God. And then to detect a false teacher, we also have to observe the quality of the fruit in their life and proceed carefully. And as I said last week, and we'll close here, our prayer is that as we go through this series, your spiritual detector, your, your spiritual radar, your false teacher muscle will get strengthened 
so that you and I can do a faithful job of detecting and declaring. Let's pray together.